0: Australians have collectively reached for the remote and turned down
1: the volume on Canberra's noise. This
0: is it. This is as thick as it gets.
1: Stark raving mad. Got anyone asking questions here? What is happening to mainstream media? You You are fake news. Well, I think sometimes we can disagree with the facts. I have never had more fun in my life.
0: This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Good afternoon. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. I'm Claudia. And I'm Maggie. Um, we've got a lot of things to cover today. We'll be covering um, the shock victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the US in the New York's 14th District. Um, the Trump, upcoming Trump and Putin summit and the implications of that. Decisions, Upcoming decisions regarding the Supreme Court and a nomination of a new judge. And Bill Shorten's struggles this week um, and potential leadership challenge. And, of course, we'll be having Head to Head, where this week we'll be looking at current topics and trends um, with celebrity culture and politicians, um, with regard to the Chinese government putting a cap on celebrity wages. So, first of all, we're starting with a more positive story. Claudia, do you want to jump us right in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is, like, such an exciting story for me personally. This is, like, my favourite good news news story of this year. Um, A woman, 28-year-old woman called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has just won the Democratic primary in New York's 14th Congressional District, Mm -hmm. um, which is like a very traditionally Democrat voting area, so it almost um, guarantees that she will actually get into Congress. Um, Yeah, she is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America and she is uh, really the definition of an underdog and it's a really, really shock victory um, to the extent that Most major news outlets actually did not even cover her campaign and are now covering it after she's already won, um, which is a little bit shocking. Yeah, there was no coverage from the New York Times on it at all. And the Associated Press, when they did cover it, they just described her as young challenger without even giving her name. So, yeah, it's just like a really big surprise and sort of a a change in fortunes for the sort of progressive side of the Democratic Party. Um, Mm. Yeah. That's the I guess the main piece of music like surrounding it. She really ran on a abolish ice platform as well as like a lot of the big sort of Sanders esque themes that have been like gaining momentum and gaining legitimacy in the Democratic Party. Medicare for all and jobs guarantee, um, yeah, ending mass incarceration and so on. So yeah, mm. it's really I exciting.
1: Wonder, yeah, I wonder if it's more so her personal charisma that sort of I suppose gave her more success than sanders did or possibly it's the fact that trump went into office in the middle or whether it's a mixture of both elements yeah it's
0: really interesting because it that so something in the dynamic must have changed because like yeah the sort of uh, our revolution section of the democratic party have tried to run a bunch of like uh, progressive candidates under mm. that sort of like underdog anti-establishment banner um and the vast majority of them have failed um A lot of them have been very similar candidates um, to Alexandria, so it's, like, very um, interesting and not entirely clear why this is such a different situation. Um, Yeah, she was usually... uh, All these candidates have been hugely outfunded, but she was as well. She got uh, 10 times less funding than her opposition. Mm. Um, And, yeah, just got most of her donations out of really, really small donations from people. So she obviously had a groundswell of popular support, but no media coverage, very little funding, It's hard to see, like, what the real, like, root of this victory was. Like, yeah, it's... I think there's going to be a lot of analysis coming out in the coming weeks that'll be like, ooh, is it time for the Democratic Party to
1: turn left or, like is this a one-off thing and so on, so. Yeah, I think conversation has been brewing for quite a while. I remember a few weeks back I was listening to a podcast by, I believe it was The Daily, um, and they were talking about two very similar, I suppose, candidates running in, I I forget the names, but um, they were talking about the different strategies that they represented. So, first of all, um, should the Democratic Party be looking more towards, I suppose, trying to... Uh, bring in who might have been originally Trump supporters and those people that might have, um, you know, changed their mind. They were more centrist in the beginning and just sort of sway them the other way now. Or if they should be, I suppose, looking more towards mobilising people that weren't voting that might be more passionate about these issues. Like, for example, um, like people of colour and just young people and getting more of them to vote and to get the votes that way. And it seems like in this case, maybe perhaps they should be going for that latter option
0: yeah totally well, like um, I read something about like the whole infrastructure of her campaign was designed for people who were doing this for the first time, like first time donors, first time voters, and so on, um which I think is really interesting um but yeah, I think uh there's been a really strong argument made that like the Democrats need to move left and make a sort of bolder I guess case for themselves rather than trying to shave off little bits of the center right. Um, but that actually hasn't really been proven in terms of electoral results. So we'll, mm. we'll see. I guess these things are always, I feel like every time there's a shock election result, there's always people trying to say, like, what was the one thing that caused this? Like, it was yeah. racial demographics or it was this one thing. And I think it's never really, like, one thing, unfortunately. So you can't really, you can never fully break it down.
1: Yeah, I feel like she is, like like you said, such an underdog in terms of, I believe she was, like, Still tending a bar at a Mexican restaurant a few weeks before. Or yeah, that
0: was like she's a, yeah she's a bartender and like I think nine months before that was still her full time job. Um, she wasn't even considering running until she was approached and asked to. After I think she did a documentary about like the Standing Rock um, protests. So um, yeah, it's really it's a huge change for someone who was really has very little, I guess, no political experience basically. Oh, I think she worked for. Uh, I think, number of offices. But, yeah, no experience as a candidate.
1: Mm. Do you think this is probably, I suppose, a sign that the Democratic Party should run a more left-leaning candidate for the 2020 elections? I know off-air we were talking a little bit about Bernie Sanders and whether he was going to run or not, and you seemed a bit sceptical about that, I think he is going to run again. I think he shouldn't. He's so old, and I just
0: think that, like, (laughs) yeah, part of, like, I think what, and you know, there was a lot of criticisms leveled at his campaign, rightly and I think unfairly, the, like the Bernie bros phenomenon of like it being a very white male thing to care about economic issues, which is, you know, not really very true, but it, was, it really stuck as a criticism. Um, I think, yeah, like putting a face on these kind of things that is like integrating like social justice and economic justice with a younger person at its helm is
1: a much better idea in my opinion but yeah mm. i suppose that's something that we will keep our eyes on but as always we would love to hear what you think about this issue so make sure to send us a tweet to at sin represent or follow us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash CIN represent so now, after talking about some of the, I suppose, positive things happening with Alexandria and the Democratic Party, we're going to move along to some other changes happening in America, and that is specifically to do with the Supreme Court. Anthony Kennedy will be, has announced his retirement, and um, that is going to have pretty significant Uh, impact on the Supreme Court and the decisions sort of made in the future as Kennedy was considered to be one of the swing voters that really, I suppose, made a difference in those, um, I suppose, more morally based, like leftist, like values based decisions. He was more... um, he leans more right on economic issues, but in terms of issues like legalizing same sex ma- marriage, preserving the Roe versus Wade sort of case, which is to do with the availability of abortions, and, um, other things like weakening the voting rights act he was sort of the person that helped make the ruling like a five to four ruling for those issues to become i suppose more progressive and now that he's leaving donald trump has the potential of putting in someone new there that is more conservative in their viewpoint and that could have pretty significant impact on the future ruling so right off the bat any thoughts on what is going to be happening, do you think this is going to have a pretty significant impact?
0: Well, I think a lot of people are hoping that it will. Uh, I read something really, really interesting um, about the impact that uh, people preempting that this would happen had on the 2016 presidential election that Mm -hmm. um, out of, I've got to get this right, 56% of the people who said it was the most important factor, the new Supreme Court judge, in their voting decision ended up voting Trump And 26% of everyone who voted for Trump said that the Supreme Court was the basis of their decision to vote for him. Wow! So that's like, yeah, more than a quarter of everyone who voted for Trump were doing so um, because they wanted a Republican or a conservative nominated onto the Supreme Court. And I guess um, more specifically, probably to do with Roe versus Wade, which seems to be this sort of like single issue thing for so many Americans that that's their primary objective in participating politically is to get this overturned.
1: Mm. And just to um, look into some of the speculation of what can happen, of course, different news organisations have different ideas of how dramatic they think the changes are. But some common bullet points are, is like Claudia said, um, there is the very real possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned or at least challenged and sort of chipped away at in smaller cases. Um, Other than that, there might be rejection to challenges to capital punishment and solitary confinement, and there might be more rulings in favour of religious challenges to anti-discrimination law. So a few episodes back, we mentioned the whole uh, same-sex marriage and wedding cake sort of um, scenario, and that could be something that we see more of in the future. Um, And perhaps there is, on the extreme end, speculation that there might be some... I suppose, reversal of rulings on gay rights. So, of course, this is something that more um, Democratic-leaning citizens might be worried about. Of course, there is sort of that caveat, which I'm not sure if it is an important one, but it is that the uh, there is the sort of um, seats in the Senate, how many there are controlled by Republicans, and the idea that they want it to be passed by Republicans might mean that they won't be nominating someone that is going to be completely outright um, going to overturn the Roe versus Wade situation because as far as I understand there are two uh, female candidates Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska who are more I suppose moderate in their stance or at least on that issue and sort of Trump wants to at least get them to
0: yeah, support right. that. It seems to be that Trump's doing a couple of things uh, a little unconventionally in this situation. One's that he's continually released his candidate list for the Supreme Court, um, which I, uh, from what I know is not necessary for him to do, but he has been mm-hmm. doing that. And uh, Now he's got a short list of, is it 25, 25 people Um, And the other thing is that he has said that he's actually not going to ask his candidates in his decision process what they would vote on for Roe versus Wade, which some of them it's like, well, that's incredibly obvious regardless, so he doesn't have to ask. But some Mm. of them it's not clear at all. Um, Actually, I was reading something about uh, the nine most likely people to replace Kennedy, and the Mm. guy who is apparently considered to be according to, like, betting sites and however else they calculate these things, the most likely replacement is Brett Kavanaugh, um, who has not um, declared his stance on Robester's weight. He's declined... To, when he's been asked, he's declined to share his views. Um, so he's a bit of a wild card on that issue. Um, and he seems to be a sort of uh, less... He's consistently conservative, but not shockingly so.
1: Right, yeah. right. I mean, this is certainly going to be interesting to follow. I think there was some speculation, I do think there is some grain of truth to that, potentially, if Trump has been buttering up Kennedy to sort of convince him to retire as soon as possible. Yeah,
0: that is so interesting. Yeah. Uh, was it, I think you, you've put uh, in our notes that um, the last guy that he nominated, Neil, I'm not going to know how to say his last name, G- Gorsuch, yeah, no, um. Was, was a clerk of yeah, Kennedy's, exactly. which kind of implies that he wanted to reassure Kennedy that I'll pick someone good again if you just retire. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that he will necessarily, right? It just seems to be that he just wanted him yeah. to feel reassured in that way. So, yeah, mm. Mm, there's so much to it. I don't really know a lot about the Supreme Court. And it's really interesting to see like how this whole process has this enormous effect on these mm-hmm. huge issues
1: yeah, for some of our listeners who might not be as familiar with American politics, and this is something that I only discovered, uh, like, a few years ago, that they get nominated for life. Like, that is a huge sort of thing. like Yeah, once you have you're to retire there, or die, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you do something super terrible and yeah. they get rid of you. But other than that, yeah. in most cases...
0: Well, I saw someone say, like, you know, nobody wants to say this now, but, um, you know, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg... I think that's how you say it, the mm. um, quite progressive judge is 85 now. So, mm. I mean, like, it's entirely possible that she will die within this or the next <laughs> term, which is, yeah, n- and yeah. I mean, no one really wants to say that, but, like, these people do lean to the old side because they
1: have the job forever. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's crazy. But I suppose something, I wouldn't say it's positive, but at least... It's probably unlikely that in the very near future that anything is going to be done about Roe versus Wade just because um, in order for the Supreme Court to have any I suppose say or like re- to relook at the issue a state would need to pass a law that is clearly incompatible with the Supreme Court's oh, current approach okay. right to they need rights. a reason to look back into yeah, it so right, people can't just bring it up um, and then, but of course, the anti-abortion movement has been speculated to, like I said earlier, have a more cautious strategy where they'll chip a row, ch- chip, a row chip away <laughs> at the row measures. Um, so instead of getting outright banned, so we're just trying to get rid of the legitimacy in certain right. areas. So. Oh,
0: that's so interesting. I think it's so crazy, like the impact that the whole evangelical movement has on US politics, which like obviously we do have like a Christian right in Australia, Australia, but, but it's a, just a whole different thing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's yeah. crazy. I've, and it's like, insane to think that once this person is um, sort of appointed, you don't really know for like, that it could be impactful for the next two decades, let's yeah. say. It's not sort of just on this singular issue that we can predict. There's so much that we don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and people change too. Like I think there are a lot of cases of Supreme Court judges like just being a completely different person to what they were nominated for. Mm-hmm. In the end, um, or just yeah, doing these wild card votes, um, or yeah, or just swinging, which is yeah, that's a huge amount of power for a single person.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, what I found interesting is like when you think about the pillars of democracy, it seems like Donald Trump has had pretty big impact on all of us, like with for example the media, the fourth estate, yeah, that's sort of right. a way like trying to like undermine sort of the more left leaning and like media and then calling it fake news. Mm-hmm. And now this sort of like literally this opportunity fell into his lap <laughs> yeah. with some of his own planning of course. Yeah. That he's now able to have such like a big impact on the judiciary side of like, you know, how the country's sort of like political leaning is going to progress. It's
0: yeah, totally. That's such an interesting analysis of it. I really think that like um, it's interesting as well. I was reading through the different like top nine candidates, and a lot of the, like all of them have been rated on their personal beliefs with relation to like presidential power and the power of the executive branch, which is obviously something that is particularly close to Trump's heart in a way that it isn't close to everyone's, and he mm. will be choosing based on people's beliefs on that, um, which is a little scary to think about, but I think it's one of those things as well where, as the presidential power expands, it's actually incredibly hard to reduce, so it just keeps getting
1: larger and larger. Mm. Certainly something to reflect on and an interesting story to follow in the coming weeks. So now we're going to move along into another, unfortunately, American-centric story. But at least we've got (laughs) another country, right? At least we've got another country involved, and that is Russia as well. And yes, we are going to be talking about the Trump and Putin summit that is scheduled. To happen in Helsinki? I might be murdering that. No, that's, that's it. Okay, yes, in <laughs> Finland on July the 16th. So, quite soon, in about a month's time, listen that. And um, they're going to be meeting, and according to Trump, they're going to talk about everything. Everything's on the table. (laughs) Um, There is a bit of speculation about what they're going to be talking about. We'll go into that a bit later. But uh, I, I suppose there's so many things to unpack here. For example, this meeting is going to be happening just a few days after the NATO summit, which is happening in Brussels. And that is on July the 11th and 12th. And there's sort of discussion about um, if there's going to be, I suppose, conflicting messages being sent, especially since Trump has uh, sort of said, I wouldn't say bad things, but negative things about
0: NATO in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also recently and potentially relatedly has been advocating for Russia to be let back onto the G7. G7. Well, I guess it would be G8 again then. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's he's yeah. playing a lot of different games at once, and I'm very confused.
1: Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's yeah, he is a very confusing man. <laughs> um, it's, especially this is something that we talked about in past episodes as well. Just looking at his attitude towards allied countries compared to his attitudes towards countries where he there should be a bit more caution and wariness. It's just sort of. Not it's it seems completely unbalanced. Like if we think about the sort of harsh sort of tariffs and discussions he's had with like Trudeau of Canada, mm. and just sort of the recent meetings when he went to the UK, it's just interesting that the different lines that he yeah. takes. I think the distinction that you can sort
0: of see there um, that I've seen a lot of people make online is that Trump loves autocrats. And he mm. really respects and admires autocratic leaders and... What he aspires to be. He aspires to be like them and I think he relates to them in some way. And so his approach to those meetings is, like, completely different um, and, like, a little bit strange. Like, I was reading an analysis of what people were saying that, like... I wish I could remember who this was because it was really um, interesting that, mm. like, Trump has this approach to negotiation where he sees negotiation as a goal in and of itself. And, like, if he's had a good conversation with someone, he's like, yeah we had a good conversation, like, that's a diplomatic victory, like, regardless of any ends that, like, would come out of that conversation. And, like, it's all about, like, personality and flattery and, like, you know, sort of social manipulation rather than, like, all the normal processes that, like, are set up around a negotiation that involve a bunch of people He's like, it's me and this other charismatic leader and we're talking Mm. it out. And, like, he seems to really think that, like... Yeah, that he can convince people with the sheer power of his personality because they like each other and stuff like that, which is yeah, it's really strange. I guess that's his whole out of the deal thing, but um, it does seem like uh, he comes away from a lot of meetings with really powerful leaders with a lot less than what he wanted to get because he's sort of I just somehow like dazzled by them. Like <laughs> I know he went into um, meetings with China last year when his main objective was like you know, uh, restricting Chinese trade and, like, threats to American trade that way and then came out of that and was like, oh, we're going to help China do more trade. And everyone was like, what? And then, you know, similar criticisms were made of his North Korean meeting. It just seems like he's so easy to, like, bowl over with, like, power and shows of power. And, like, the
1: same thing with Saudi Arabia again. Mm. Like, I think what's interesting is I remember when he first first went into office, there was sort of, um, I suppose investigation into how well he did as a business person and then it showed that a lot of his businesses failed he just had a lot of money because of his dad you know he could just bail himself back out yeah he's not that great of a negotiator as he wants america to believe he's
0: not but that's obviously so much what his like persona is crafted around this idea that like oh i'm a charismatic dude and i get in a room with another powerful guy and we recognize Mm -hmm. each other and we can talk it out and it's like
1: That is it's scary for the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, like especially considering all those examples that you gave where America or the free world, should we say, has Mm -hmm. gone the short end of the stick. Like, for example, digging into that North Korean example. I know we've covered that heaps on the show. (laughs) But um, if you think about it, all Kim Jong-un sort of Promised at the end of that first meeting, it was the goal of denuclearization and working towards that, which is very vague, very fluffy. There's not really pragmatic steps sort of set as to how that would be achieved. Totally, whereas,
0: like, Trump uh, agreed to stop military exercise with South Korea beginning, exactly. like, immediately, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and then that for North Korea also seen as a propaganda victory, you know. Um And basically, because not only did he get that specific tangible thing of having those military exercises stopped, which I think will help show him in, like, a better, like better light to his own citizens in yeah. terms of, like, look, look at what we helped, like, get America to do. And also in terms of the world stage, it's sort of saying, oh, look, he is worthy of being at the negotiation table, like, yeah. never mind the human rights sort of violations, never mind, like, the nuclear sort yeah. of developments happening in the background. That's such a good it's point. It totally legitimises him as someone worthy to be on the equal sort of playing field, which is, there are problems surrounding that. Yeah, you know? no, totally. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's pretty unprecedented, like, for people to be considering North Korean dictator as, like, just a world leader you can negotiate <laughs> with. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. this will be really interesting. I find the way Trump talks about things just like so baffling and inscrutable that like I, I can't understand how he could even say a single one of the things that he says. But he was talking about how like there have been a lot of complaints about Russian meddling in the US election oh, yes. and that he's like I have brought that up with Putin like a number of times and he actually gets really offended he's so insulted when I say that it's
1: like what it's are you hilarious. a child like, I don't understand like we've got like he looked, talked to one of the aides and then he was like oh Russia said they didn't do it so they didn't do it guys. yeah exactly it's like I can't crazy. keep saying this guys he's gonna be offended again it's like <laughs>
0: It just shows that he really thinks about politics in this, like, interpersonal way of, like, oh, well, if this dude is, like, getting upset when I accuse him of this thing, then, like, I better, I better stop talking about it. That would be bad diplomacy. And, like, it's it's so strange. Anyway, mm. yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, like, what comes out of this summit and sort of whether Trump adds more fuel to the fire that's sort of burning around uh, ideas that there's collusion between putin and trump
1: and that they're working together exactly and the problem is like putin is like a whole other ball game from like kim jong-un right like we don't know much about how good of a negotiator kim jong-un is he doesn't really have to do that he's from like a very isolated state whereas Mm -hmm. putin like we know that he has managed to hold on to political power for all these years for a reason like once again he's in a totally different ballpark than trump i feel like like yeah there is a really high risk i would say of him potentially being able to sweet talk trump into these deals where once again america is the one giving up a lot when russia is only promising to do better and potentially not even following up yeah exactly Is going to be a big problem. Like, in the case of North Korea, which we mentioned before, like, recent news have shown that, according to US intelligence, they are still continuing with nuclear tests and, like, development despite the deals being made. So that doesn't put in a lot of faith, at least in my Mm -hmm. perspective, on this conversation that is going to happen between Trump and Putin.
0: No, not at all. Um, And I think, yeah, it'll be... I think it's really interesting because, like, in a lot of situations, like apparently one of the hot-button issues that's going to be discussed is, like, Russia's involvement in Syria. Mm. But, like, these are places where the US and Russia are, like, literally diametrically opposed to each other and, like, fighting each other indirectly.
1: Mm. But not anymore, because supposedly, like, yes, America's stance is, like, they want to stay there, but Trump has been like, we want to pull out ASAP. Yeah, right. And then wanting to get, essentially let russia control the area yeah well that's so interesting
0: right because like what's he going to say at the summit then like oh just go for it back aside we're out like i mean i'm like not a big syria expert but it just seems like this space where like russia has been like backing the enemy and the u.s have been backing one side and it's like the actual leaders of these countries are kind of friends now or at least appear to be kind of
1: friends mm mm-hmm. It's 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 just so stressful. It brings back to the same thing every single time where Trump will say something like we're going to leave Syria, like that's something we could discuss with Russia and then the White House being like no 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 no. Yeah. Hold up, like yeah. that is not what we want to do. And then I believe like Trip Station there were also saying that like they haven't really completed their task of like fighting ISIS and if they left, it would have like pretty grave consequences on right. the area. So it's going to be Something else to look forward to, I yeah. suppose, in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, I mean, there has been some positive coverage. There, it's not all dim and gloom. Some people, I suppose, believe that it could be a sign of strength, um, and that is what the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has said. Um, because they don't, they were. Stoltenberg has said, is like, we don't want a new Cold War. And that is mm-hmm. a good point. I suppose Yeah, it is. conversing is better than no, totally. the extreme opposite. Yeah,
0: wait, is that the dude who was like, dialogue is a sign of strength? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, like, yeah, that makes. Depends on what you say, though. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That yeah, but I mean, that's so true. Like, uh, the way we're talking, it sounds like, oh, we want this conflict to stay a conflict. It's like, obviously, if countries can resolve their differences, that's mm. awesome. It's just like. How likely is that? Mm.
1: Um, But yeah, what are your thoughts on, you know, countries like Russia and North Korea where, like, they can talk a lot, right? They they can walk a really good moral line of, like, oh, sorry for all the things we did (laughs) in the past, but we'll be better. Like, we'll do better. And then the international community, like, what can they do except accept that? Like, there's not really any way to hold them accountable? Like, is there any way around that?
0: Yeah, I guess I'm in that I don't really know, but, like, I guess, you know, Russia's been excluded from the G8 now. Like, there are a lot of... Uh, ways you can exclude Putin from decision making but like he still has a say regardless based because he's he's already there and doing things so yeah I don't really know like I don't really understand the role of diplomacy and like actually being able to coerce someone into doing something or whether a lot of it is this stuff that Trump believes in of just like oh we like each other and we get along and that's like what it's what it's going to be like I think it's really interesting as well because like Trump seems like such an impressionable dude but like I feel like there was a lot of dialogue like when he first became president that was like, Oh like he's just a puppet. Like he's just gonna mm-hmm. walk around saying all these crazy things and we can just ignore it because like the establishment Republicans behind him have got control. But he doesn't listen. Yeah, <laughs> but like... it seems like yes he's a puppet in some ways in that like people will say things to him and he'll be like, Ah, oh, I believe that now. We're doing that now but like and he like is obviously incredibly receptive to people being nice to him and wanting to be his friend. Mm-hmm. But he does seem to ha- be making the final call, like, and a lot of times his advisors have had to backtrack and been like, "Oh, sorry, he's not doing that." Oh, wait, no, he is now. Oh, okay, never mind, then he's
1: doing it <laughs> now. You know? Yeah, it's it's always a surprise with Trump, and I wish I wish we hadn't. Like, we don't need to cover more of this, but I have a feeling this is going to be turning into the Singapore Summit two where we'll yeah. be talking about it a lot over the coming weeks. And now we're going to bring the story a bit closer to home. And that is a whole difficult with Bill Shorten and some of the comments that he made on Tuesday that he retracted just yesterday. So it was just simply the word yes. But let's put that into context. What actually happened was Bill Shorten... Said that the Labour government would repeal corporate tax cuts for businesses with a turnover of between 10 million and 50 million after being questioned by a Fairfax reporter. And um, I suppose there was a lot of backlash to that because. Originally, so the government, something that we've covered before, wanted to cut the tax for businesses from 30% to 25% for all businesses. Labour only wanted that to apply to firms with annual sales of $2 million or less. But the um, original sort of plan by the government was passed, thanks to minor parties and independents being swayed to vote for that. And the threshold was set to be fifty million. So I suppose one of the biggest issues with Bill Shorten's comments, aside from the fact that it's strayed away from an agreed party line, was that um, the first part of the tax plan has already been put in place. So that means for firms that are sitting in that sort of ten to was it ten to fifty million bracket, it would essentially mean that they would have to pay higher tax supposedly if labour was to overturn this policy as even right now they are enjoying a 27.5% tax rate and that is going to be falling to 25% just tomorrow so which is the first day of the new financial year and then that sort of shifted the whole conversation towards um is Bill Shorten trying to attack all these family businesses instead of before where there was more criticism on Turnbull about um being like a big a tax break for all these big like multi um national companies. And yeah. Yeah any big thoughts on that? I mean
0: none really. I mean it's really interesting for me. I've been overseas for three weeks and like mm-hmm. the mood before I left was very like Turnbull was really being framed in this like, yeah, big end of town as the cliche goes away. And like Shorten was looking really good. Um and now it seems like the mood's completely changed, which Okay, I'm very confused by this whole thing, so I guess I have two kind of questions. Mm. One being, like, this is Labor policy already to not have these tax breaks for those that bracket, right? So why is it so controversial for him to say they'd repeal it? And the second question... No, actually, that's my only question.
1: Mm. I think the biggest issue is that the entire party hasn't really come to a consensus as to what exactly they would do. I think that's partially because they were scared of this backlash in terms of the policy already being in place and family-sized businesses sort of benefiting from that and taking that away from them. Right. And then that sort of... I suppose if that was something that the party decided to go along with, then there wouldn't have been that backlash, and right, uh, I Bill Shorten would have been backed up by like the finance sort of ministers, But instead, he got no sort of backing. And then I believe a um, minister who spoke to a Hobart radio station—I forgot the name. My apologies—ended um, up getting grilled on this, and his response was like, "Well, I guess that's the captain's decision, oh, so we'll right. go along with it." Yeah. So right. the the Biggest issue with that, and something that Bill Shorten hasn't done very much of in the past, is Mm. he sort of took a decision that the party hasn't really pre-approved yet. Right,
0: I see. So it's like, it's one thing for Labor to be like, oh, we didn't want these tax breaks and we Mm. didn't vote for them. But it's another thing to say, oh, we actually will take them away. Yes. I see. Okay, that kind of makes sense. I guess, yeah, I remember what my other question was, which is now there seem to be all these conversations really like, Anthony Albanese, which seemed to crop up every mm-hmm. few years or so as a potential alternative leader. And I know I didn't actually follow this up, but that he did some sort of manifesto speech, which seemed to be very him-like going out on his own and giving his own views on something that people saw was like a bit of a daring move. But Albanese is the like, representative for the left of the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. It seems confusing to me that when the backlash has come from the right of the party, that then the leader of the left should take over. Like, I don't... I would never pretend to be privy to, like, internal labour dynamics, but Mm. it seems really strange to me that, like, Shorten's sort of gone left on this issue and people are like, oh, well, this is bad. We should
1: replace him with the left guy then. Yeah, I feel like it's more so just his leadership and decisions rather than, like, that specific um, issue and his stance on it. I think it's just him taking a position that the government, not the government, sorry, the entire party wasn't like privy to, that that was like, the decision being made. I think that's the biggest yeah, issue. Yeah, right. I don't, it's more like a leadership-style issue yeah, rather than content. exactly. Mm, okay. I don't think, personally, I, th- I feel like there is a bit of speculation right now, as you said, whether someone else will be taking over for, um, you know, of the party. And I think a lot of discussion is around... The tipping point, and I feel like at this point the tipping point hasn't been reached, but there has been speculation that the tipping point might be after the whole um, by-elections take place where there's five going on and two of them labour. There's been signs on the polls that they might not actually win the seats, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Usually, I believe in the, in the past hundred years, there hasn't been... A circumstance where the acting government has won the seats and the yeah. opposition hasn't. And if that's that happened, crazy, 100 years. Exactly. If that happened under Bill Shorten, that's going to be very difficult to recover from.
0: Yeah, well, I remember when we covered the by election in a previous show, like we were saying that, like, if he lost those seats, that would be, like, a leadership challenge to him, almost certainly. But, like, at the time, we were being like, but that would never happen. Mm. So, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting and, like, crazy how things can turn around so quickly. Like, what really interests me about, like, a lot of this internal party stuff is that, like, Shorten has never been the most popular leader with the Australian public. Like, yeah. nobody in the Australian public, well, not nobody, but very few people back him as a dude, even when they back the ALP. Mm. And, like, there are, me- like, multiple people within the ALP that more members of the Australian public would vote for. But mm. within the ALP, Shorten is popular. Yeah, And it just seems really strange that, like, parties are willing to sort of sacrifice their own... I guess electability, just because of their own. Mm.
1: I think it's the fact that they are leading by such a slight margin, and yeah. with the sort of whole nightmare of the Gillard and Rod sort of, um, shall we say, fight for leadership, yeah. like so recent and fresh in people's memories. I think that's part of the reason, at least speculation-wise, as to why there hasn't been, yeah, a why challenge. it's been left there.
0: So, yeah. yeah. No, I, it's, it's, I guess that makes total sense. Like, it would just make Labor look really unstable going into the election if they've just swapped out
1: mm-hmm. their
0: leader. Um, although it's really interesting as well, like, it seems like the whole change the rules thing that has become this really big movement over the course of this year so far has, like, really been, like, tied to the ALP and, like, sort of as an ALP re-election campaign. But now that this yeah. thing is backfired, like, I don't know whether they'll go their separate ways. Like... Um, you know Sally McManus was tweeting this week like oh thanks to the Greens for backing our stuff and like obviously the union movement is really tied to the ALP but like whether you know this is going to lead the ALP to sort of abandon
1: that movement a little bit we'll see. Mm, that's interesting, we'll definitely keep an eye on it we only have a couple minutes left on the show so we'll quickly jump into Head to Head. This week's A little bit about celebrities, politicians, trying to get a bit more relevance for our show in terms of that. And that is to follow up on the story of the um, Chinese government sort of deciding to cap the income of celebrities. So um, this was on the back of discovering sort of yin-yang contracts existing for celebrities, where on one hand, on one piece of paper, it'll show that they're going to be earning this much. But on another piece of paper, it shows an extremely high amount mountain that's way higher that's actually so what's the like beginning so it's like a tax evasion thing. exactly right. exactly and um but of course there's been discussion about like what is actually the background to these laws being put in place like some people think it's the Chinese government trying to curb Um, the power of celebrities to send like social messages once again wanting to hold on to the power of like directing conversation and just Mm -hmm. sort of like their influence over people yeah
0: it was interesting like they came out saying you know they wanted to stop young people like worshipping money and chasing stars Mm -hmm. which is like such a moral argument to make that you would probably not feel comfortable making in other countries, such as our second example, which is the US, mm-hmm. which has had, uh, in my opinion, a disproportionate number of celebs in government. Um, there has been, quite famously, um, Arnie Arnold Schwarzenegger was a governor of California. That's Ronald crazy. Reagan was the president. Clint Eastwood, there's a bit of a theme between these guys, these sort of rugged Western types, um, was the mayor of somewhere. Um, and now Cynthia Nixon from Sex in the City is running for governor of New York. Um, which is quite exciting, in my opinion.
1: Um, yeah, it's crazy so how there's so much overlap between... Well, actually, not that much, considering we could only find
0: three <laughs> Oh, so these were just the people that I personally had heard of. Mm-hmm. The list was so exhaustive, but I think they were all old people that I didn't know. <laughs> but that said, you know, like, that's the question we posed to you, I guess. Is it better to have the government disciplining your celebrities or elect your celebrities?
1: Ooh. Oh, what an interesting question to end on but that is certainly something that we want to hear from you, apologies that it was such a short head to head session but we do have to go, this is all we have time for this week but of course we'll be back next week 3-4pm to 4 on Sin Nation and streaming online on sin.org.au stay tuned for its literature remember you can catch up on past episodes by listening to our podcast on iTunes and Omni and of course send in your feedback to us through Twitter, SYNN Represent or on Facebook, side at uh, facebook.com/sinrepresent this show is produced by Zizi Averill and Maggie Lou I'm Maggie I'm Claudia and remember to stay, stay political, political.